Hey everybody and welcome back to So Stignatious, the podcast where the name is made up but the people are real. Now before I get to how real our guest is today, um, I would just want to update you guys. I thought I was going to have enough free time during the football season to edit and put out episodes. Turns out the season's a pretty busy time of year for me, so took a little hiatus, but I am back and I've got seven more episodes of this first season of So Stignatious to roll out, and I'm excited to share them with you guys. Uh, today, my guest is Ken Montgomery. This interview was recorded um, a couple of months back in September. Um, you're going to hear an awesome, awesome bit from Ken. Uh, he, he had one hell of a twisty, turny journey um, going to Tulane and then moving back to the, the West Coast um, after a year of college out there, starting college out here at Cal, um, putting his degree on pause and entering the workforce, and then just last year finally um, getting his degree finished up some 30 years later. So Ken's Ken's been through it, and he's got a lot of great wisdom, and I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Uh, hopefully the length of this interview makes up for some of the lost time. All right, Ken. Uh, so today I'm here with Ken Montgomery, uh, recent Cal grad. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, and a huge supporter of Cal Athletics, uh, which we love around here. Um, so, Ken, why don't you take a second just to give the audience a general overview of yourself? Don't get too deep into anything because we're going to dive in, but just who are you? Great. Uh, thank you, man. So, uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. So, uh, yeah, as Jake said, I'm a recent Cal grad. I like to tell people I took a 25 year break between my sophomore and junior years. So I came back. Uh, I left Cal in '91, and then I came back in '16 um, to finish my degree in classic civilizations. Um, you know, good luck getting a job with that degree, right? But uh, I was kind of fortunate to already have a job. So I've got the best college job in the world. Um, I had global communications for a company called Persistent Systems. We're a 10,000 person software company uh, based in India. U.S. headquarters is here in Santa Clara. But, um, you know, Cal's been a huge part of my life for, you know, most of my life. And uh, coming back was really incredible. And so uh, it's, it's really cool to be able to do this with you. Yeah. Um, can you talk about why Cal, you know, how did Cal become such a big part of your life to begin with? Yeah. So the, um, yeah, I grew up in San Leandro mm -hmm. and I like to tell people I grew up in 880 San Leandro, not 580 San Leandro, right? So yeah, I grew up below 880, uh, not above 580 up in the hills. And, you know, Cal was a real escape, you know, when I was a kid. So coming over to campus just for anything, you know, was an escape. This was, you know, back in the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Sure. Um, you know, high school was early 80s for me. Um, so Cal, just, just coming to the campus was great. And then, you know, on Saturdays coming to the football games um, really would just kind of be in a little fantasy world where I just imagined myself I was at Cal, you know, when I was you know, coming to the games. And uh, you know, we'd sneak over to the student section and uh -huh. we have, you didn't have to do much sneaking back then, but we'd be in the student section and we we're, we're, were in awe by all of it. We were in awe by going to Blondie's, um, you know, on Telegraph. We just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. And then specifically... You know, making no judgment on any particular house or whatnot, but you know when you'd go by the uh, Fiji house, right, uh, which was on Channing Circle, right, or uh -huh. Piedmont Circle, whatever it is, um, it just looked like college, you know. Yeah, and so there was yeah, just yeah. something about it great, and um, so 
you know, it, it really started back then. You know, I'd gone to my grandfather would take me to uh, you know football games you know, mm-hmm. here, and it was just a really incredible thing. And then, you know, it just stuck with me. And um, you just cut me off when you want to cut me off. But you know, coming out of high school, I didn't get into Cal, mm-hmm. and I was crushed because I really wanted to go to Cal. And so um, I ended up going down to Tulane University for a year. And there's a funny story with that. Um, is my lost year at Tulane, and uh, um, but then eventually, you know, I, I I just worked hard and you know kept striving to get into Cal, and I, I took some time off. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a young, you know, I was 19. I wasn't in college and kind of felt a little bit lost, right? And I worked for a couple of years to get into Cal. And when I finally got into Cal, it was just uh, it was almost angelic, right? You know, you could hear you know the angels singing and stuff, and. Um, so anyways, it just started way back then. It's just always been a part of it. So. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, you know, that was always kind of your dream growing up, being around here. Um, can you dive into a little bit what you did in, in between after you kind of figured out, you know, I don't like Tulane that much. Was there something in your mind, like, even while you were there, like, always wanted to be at Berkeley? And then also, what did you do with that little bit of time off? Did You know, you said you were working to get back here. So was it community college or were you also doing um, – you know, working jobs and what kind of jobs were you doing? So it wasn't that I decided I didn't do like Tulane, right? It was one, I couldn't afford to go there. So I had, um, there were were two things. I had, I, you know, I just needed to get away. So I think it's in, um, you know, I had a, um, and I'm not alone in this, but I've had a pretty tough childhood and I just needed to get away. I had scrimped and saved enough money for the fall semester at Tulane, which took everything I had. For some reason, they let me back for the second semester and, uh, you know, the spring semester. And I didn't have money to pay, so they just let me go and you know, I grow a bill that I eventually had to pay back, right? And it right. was, and this was in 1984, $85. It was, you know, seven or 8000 a semester, so it was pretty hefty. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, first semester at Tulane, I think I got a... Uh, you know, like I think I got a 1.2 GPA or something like that because I'm in New Orleans and it's fun and you know you're away from home, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the second semester, I think that skyrocketed to like a 1.6. So um, the uh, you know the uh, so the funny thing about it is I actually I can say this now the statute of limitations is over is I actually never told Cal that I had gone to Tulane and <laughs> so, and back in the day you could do that because you know, there there was no internet right. right there was no way of tracking things right um, so uh, <clears throat> I came home. Had no idea what I was going to do. I mean, really had no idea. And, yeah. I, felt, and I felt completely lost. Um, actually, you know, that, I was 18 that summer after my first you know, year at college. And um, couldn't live at home. You know, I had to find a place. Had to get a job. I went with um, resume in hand. And I was going to get a job in San Francisco. I wanted to work in San Francisco. Just so in my mind, you know, this is what I right. wanted to do. Yeah. And I, was, I went around to a couple of, or the idea was I was going to go to door-to-door with my resume and see if they needed somebody. Second place I went to was this amazing company called Babcock and Brown, and it was a boutique international investment banking firm okay. um, that arranged lots of very complicated leasing deals and leverage leases and buybacks and all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> I walked in the door that day and just kind of, you know, it's you know, it's you going out and doing something, right? You, you got to mm-hmm. knock on the door. You know, the opportunity doesn't come knocking. You got to go, you know, out there. And uh, that day, their receptionist quit. And I walked in, and the office manager, this incredible person, Ruth Ann Canberra, who is just one of the most important people in my life, you know, she kind of came scrambling out. She goes, hey, can you answer phones? And I go, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she literally sat me down at the front desk, and there was the phone thing. So I started, you know, kind of gave me a little thing, and I just started working. I didn't sign anything. Didn't have anything. I just started working, right? Yeah. And um, 
This was in um, uh, September of 85. And it was just incredible. And the, I think that place, you know, eventually it was going to be temporary at first. And it turned into, um, you know, like within a week I was a full-time employee. And uh, I was making six bucks an hour, which was a ton of money back then. That was like twice the minimum wage. So it'd be okay. like making 30 bucks an hour in California today, right? So it seemed like a lot of, you know, good money for a kid. Um, and the best part about it were these just incredibly smart people that gave me a sense of place and uh, made me feel like I was a valuable person. Mm-hmm. And I've never forgot that. The, and, and most of these people are still my friends today. Uh, they're, they're mentors or people that I look up to. Um, they're all you know, successful that kind of modeled the way for how to be successful in business and successful in how you treat people, right, mm-hmm. and whatnot. And um, uh, so I, you know, I was at Babcock and Brown. I took a few years off from school. You know, I was just working. I had to work. I had to support myself, sure. you know. And it, to me, it's the greatest thing that happened. It didn't seem like it at the time, right? You know, at the time, a lot of times it was tough, and it was lonely and isolating sometimes and everything. Um, but the goal was always to get back and get my degree. And so I ended up going to San Francisco City College for a couple of years okay. um, as a way to get into Cal, right? And, you know, again, things have changed a little bit because, you know, so many people, more people go to college now. Things are impacted and stuff. But back in the day, if you were at a JC, I think it's still true. Back, back in the day, if you were at a JC and you were applying to Cal, um, as long as the major to which you applied wasn't impacted, as long as you met the minimum requirements for the UC system, mm-hmm. you got in, right? There, okay. Yeah, so, th- so that's why you, you did that. And so it was really cool. And um, I spent, like I said, I think I spent three semesters at San Francisco City College. And, um, and I loved it, actually. There's something very cool about it. I met really great people there, right? Um, and then I got into Cal. And it was, like I say, it was just incredible. You know, you get something in the mail back then. You know, you're not doing the <laughs> online thing, right? You get a little postcard back then. It just starts with, um, you know, like, congratulations, you made it through the first cut. That's what it is. So I had to come and meet with a woman, um, and she was just wonderful. And we actually, I'd do an interview. So came into Sproul, somewhere in the bowels of Sproul in a conference room. Sure. And that's pretty intimidating, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. Sproul, right? You know, when you want to get in. And... Um, What's really interesting is when I got, you know, fast forward 25 years or 30 years, when I got back into Cal to finish my degree, my paper file, because everything was paper back then, right? So they've got my file and it's just all handwritten stuff. Yeah. And there's the interview notes, you know, from, uh, yeah, from Mrs. Lee. And, you know, it's kind of like looking, you see all this old stuff. It's like looking at the Magna Carta, you know, in the year of our Lord, 1987, you know, or whatever it was, right? It was kind of big script writing, you know, but, um... Anyways, you know, I had the interview, and at the very end of the interview, I could see, I, you know, I, I felt it was going pretty well, but, you know, you're never sure. At the end of the interview, when, when Mrs. Lee said to me, she looks at me, and she goes, you know, you're not going to make me regret this, are you? Right? <laughs> and I just smiled huge, and I said, no, I won't. And she signed the name. She literally signed, like, accepted on the form. Wow. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then that's how I got into Cal. So it was, um, and that was in the fall, uh, or the summer of 89, so, um, and again, that was, you know, they didn't know I'd gone to Tulane. I'd never get in if they knew I'd gone to Tulane. Right? So that's I said, okay, whatever, you know. But, but, but nobody got hurt. I didn't you know, cause anybody any problems there. You know, that's a victimless crime. Um, but it was, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a good four-year break for me, you know, yeah. where I had to really, like, find out. I mean, it sounds so trite and cliche, but kind of find yourself, right, and who yeah. you are. I actually think it was one of the best things that happened for me, you know. And, and also, you know, so I continue to work all, all through my time at Cal for Babcock and Brown, and, you know, they were amazing in 
you know, <clears throat> and what's amazing about it is they were amazing in how they let me just form my own schedule, right? Right. You know, and worked with me because they knew how important it was. And again, go forward 25 years, you know, when I decided to come back, you know, and, you know, I'm at this 10,000 person technology company, you know, I'm on the executive team, I'm heading global communications, right? And they were the exact same way. And they were like, you know, I was, you know, I finished work, um, going to, ah, I finished as a full-time student. You know, there was the semesters where I had four classes. Right. And then I was working full-time, right? But they just let me figure it out how we were going to do uh -huh. everything. So it's kind of amazing, I think, that you put that out there, right? And it comes back to you. So anyways, I, uh, yeah, I just eventually ended up um, getting into Cal. Yeah. It was amazing. So when you got to Cal initially, was it everything you were, you would imagine? Yeah. When it, yeah? Yeah, it really just, was. Well, and I'll tell you, like, um, it was... You know, while I was trying to get in, you know, I had friend, I had a few friends that went here, and so I would come over and I would just, you know, it was, it felt like, um, uh, oh, what's that movie about the the Indiana bicyclers, um, or I'm almost like Rudy esque, right? Because okay. I would, I'd come in and I would study at Doe, right? Yeah, I had yeah. friends that lived at you know Clark Her, and I would come spend the night with them, you know, at Clark Her, right? So I was kind of kind of absorbing stuff, but I always felt like an outsider, definitely. Well, I was an outsider, right? I didn't feel that way. I was an outsider, right? So I had, I had, uh, I had actual imposter syndrome, and um, so when I got here, it really was. I just, I, that feeling never left. I mean, you know, people would see me on campus, you know, and they'd say, "Dude, you're always smiling." Like I remember people would say that to me, like, "You're the happiest guy. You're always smiling." Because I was, and I, yeah. and coming back, I was always smiling, and I was always in a good mood, and um, it really was, man. It was like you know, you walk into the buildings and the smell of the buildings, and just the, um, you know, I have an appreciation for history, uh -huh. and not like necessarily ancient history, but just you know everything. Like when you're walking down a street, what's the history of that building? Yeah, you know, what's whatnot. And so I just would think about the people that were here before me, you know, and the professors and all the great stuff that happened and, you know, hearing the Campanelli, you know, ringing. I mean, it just, it's all so um, kind of uh, cliche, but it's all true though, you know, and yeah. then being in the student section as a student, getting my student ID. Yeah. All that stuff is just, uh, I, 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 I've got goosebumps. I was, you can't see this on the podcast, but I have goosebumps right now just thinking about it. It was that special. Yeah. So, I mean, here you are, you're finally at Cal, right? You're starting your studies and then you aren't able to finish your degree the yeah. first time around. So what, what led to that and what led to, you know, your next step yeah. ultimately once you were out? So I think it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it was, it was a, there was a mixed bag of, it wasn't that I couldn't get my degree, right? I wasn't able to right. do it. It was part of it. But it was really, life was a little bit different back then. And you know, a degree, to me, a degree has become almost a union card in this day and age, right? Where it's a way to keep people out as a little way to let people in, right? So right. You, you see jobs today that require a college degree that you absolutely don't need a college degree to do that job. And I use myself as an example, right? And I always tell that to people, like, you know, Hey, if you needed a college degree to do my job, I guess I wouldn't have my job because I didn't have a college degree. Right. And um, so, you know, back then you were able to, you know, you're, you didn't have a scarlet letter if you didn't have a degree. And the for back then for a classics major, you had to take either Greek or Latin, be wow. proficient in that. And then you had to take classes in Greek or Latin. Huh. I could not do it. I just, I'm not, yeah, I just couldn't do it. And... Um, so I was going to have to, oh, I'm going to change my major to history. What's that going to do? And I got to know a guy named Don Fisher. And I, it's, it saddens me that a lot of people, you know, your age and whatnot, uh, don't know who Don Fisher is. But if, you, if you're at Haas and you walk through 
um, you walk up from campus, you go through the Don and Doris Fisher Arch, and Don Fisher was the founder of The Gap, and okay. uh, Cal Rad, and he was the founder and chairman of The Gap. And when I was in college, he was, and he was a huge Cal fan. Uh-huh. So I got to know Don through my stuff that I did as the mic man and everything. I also got to know his son, because um, his son was friends with one of the people I worked for at Babcock and Brown, right? Okay. He was there a, you a VP. Yeah. yeah, so you're always doing that kind of thing. And uh, Don said, Kenny, why don't you uh, come work for me in management development at The Gap? And so I go, Mr. Fisher, he goes, that's Don, you know that. And I go, he goes, um, I remember that conversation. And he goes, yeah, why, we'll get that set up. And so um, I ended up working. So as a college dropout, my job as a college dropout was uh, being in the management development program at The Gap. And that was a pretty wow. cool you know, way to land, right? And it was a cool opportunity. And there was just, you know, there was money to be made. Right. And a new, you know, in that next phase of life to start, I was a little bit older, you know, this was in, uh, 92. So I was 25, mm-hmm. you know, cause I'd taken that break. Right. So I was a little bit older and yeah, so that's, you know, it was a combination of, you know, it was honestly just a combination of kind of taking inventory yeah. of, Hey, okay. If I want to get this degree, I'm going to have to do some d- different things and it's going to take longer. Right. And then the, I'm kind of ready for the next thing, you know, and I've got this opportunity you know, with one of the titans of American business, who's like, who's the, who personifies the fabric of America, literally, right? The gap, right, you yeah, know, yeah. and to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so what then, what was your kind of transition to get to your company that you're currently with? Well, the, the, the transition was in, I mean, that's a boom, a whole bunch of right, stuff. I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of, yeah. just the big major Absolutely. points. Ma- major thing was I stumbled into public relations, into PR, into communications. Um, and, and it's really amazing how the serendipity of life works, right? And, and I, you know, one of the really cool things that's happened is I really get to talk to my, my classmates, my friends, you know, coming back to Cal. You know, my running joke always is the reason we can be friends is, you know, I might be twice your age, but I have half your maturity. So, <laughs> you know, it all works out really right. nicely, right? Sure. But I've got some, <laughs> and I think everyone would agree that, that is, there's, there's <laughs> very little hyperbole in that. And, um, so I was, uh, you know, a friend of mine, Mark Bingham, um, who uh, a lot of your listeners will know. Mark was one of the heroes of 9-11. He was on Friday. Right, I wanted to ask you a little bit more. Yeah, so we'll get, we can get yeah, into yeah. that. But he, um, uh, we, you know, he was um, applying for a job at a PR agency in San Francisco, a great place called Alexander Communications, a tech PR agency. So I helped him with his resume and, you know, went and he got the job. And a few months later, he goes, Ken, you know, we're hiring you know, you should, you whatever. And, you know, you don't want to be a manager at the Gap, right? And I really didn't. I mean, I loved the opportunity and I learned incredible things. It was, you know, everyone should work in retail because it really kind of, um, it's a good ego check, right? You know, yeah. especially as an assistant manager. There's no, you, there's no worse job in the world than being an assistant manager in retail because you have all the, re, you have all this responsibility, but, you know, you have none of the authority for anything, right? So it's, uh, but you learn how to deal with people. Uh-huh. You learn, like, some of the best lessons I learned at the Gap was, you know, I learned really how to work with people, and you're gonna. There are times in life you're gonna have to do something, right? You don't want to do, but you're gonna right. have to do it. So you can do it in a way to make the person happy, or you could do it in a way that pisses them off. And why would you do it the latter way, right? You want to do it in a way to make them happy, because then you at least get something out of this thing that you didn't want to do, right? So sure. Okay. Anyways, so I went and um, I went in for an interview with Alexander, and this is how naive I was. They, I went in that <clears throat> first interview with a. Wonderful guy, Amy Messinger, and Christina Hall, if she's listening to this, which I'm sure she will be, um, and uh, at the time, Christina Tavella, and they asked, do you, are you a PC or a Mac person? And I was like, yeah. I didn't know there was a difference between a PC and Mac, right? So I just, yeah, you, know, you type into a computer. So that is that was the transition, right, from whatever I was doing, 
Right. Right. So you're working for an international investment making firm, then working for the Gap. That was my transition into technology. And I'm telling you, the first day on the job, it was like, I have found the thing I love doing. And when I was the mic man, people would come up to me all the time and say, oh, you're going to be a PR. And I, I really didn't know what they meant by that. I really didn't. Right. right? Or why they would say that. And, um, and I really figured out pretty quick because, frankly, I was doing that at Babcock and Brown, if you will, and, and whatnot. But the um, but first day on the job, it was just this epiphany. It was like, wow, this is this is so cool. So what about it did you just love immediately? Like, what about it hit you? And you're like, man, this is what I'm meant to be doing. Well, then I was able to – one was it just felt like you were in school because you're always learning, right? You know, sure. So technology is always changing, right? And you know, to this day, I'm learning stuff, right? So there is stuff, you know – I, there's stuff that I will learn tomorrow that I don't know today, right, and whatnot. But what it was was it was a chance for me to, uh, the, I was able to um, show my intelligence, uh, my creativity, um, my, um, uh, my initiative, right? And it really did mirror, again, the stuff I had done before. But mm-hmm. I was able to do it and get paid for it. And I remember being in a room, my first big client when I was at the agency was a company called Novell, which at the time was the second largest software company in the world. And um, I had incredible clients there. You were at my graduation party. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so I think you actually met you know, Barbara French, who was one of my clients, and she was incredible. You know, Christine Hughes uh, was another client who was the chief marketing officer at Novell. These are incredibly smart, wonderful people. And they gave me the opportunity to just go out there and shine. Right, you know, uh-huh. they did. They just let me do my thing, and I remember I was in a meeting. My in my big break was <clears throat> that that I made. Right, you know, you create your own luck. Right, was we Novell was very late to the market on something um, on their uh, on uh, their web server uh-huh. that they were introducing. They're incredibly late to the market. It was a Me Too product. Nothing special about it. But we got that room packed with reporters and editors and whatnot. And my the president of my agency was there. And it was thrilling because we took this like nothing event, you know, and turned it into a thing. It really opened people's eyes. And that, again, that that really um, informed, you know, everything I do, you know, I do it in a meaningful way. No matter what it is, you don't do it in a way that's perfunctory, right? You do it in a way to make a difference. And what got me to realize that, hey, I found something I love doing is I was in an industry and in a discipline that that I could apply that. And and it was just, man, I, I loved it. I mean, you know, I still do. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you're here, you figure it out. This is what I want to do. Um, but then you, the company you worked for now, you mentioned earlier, is based in India. Yeah. Um, which is different because I'm sure you weren't traveling as much back then. No. Or, yeah. But I showed them a lot, but not like now. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. Not, but I wasn't doing international. Not as international. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's more what I'm, what yeah. I was talking about. But, um, so how, how did you kind of transition those skills to a company that's, not based in the U.S. It's based more internationally. It's, you know, you're back and forth to India all the time now. We were just talking about before yeah. uh, we started recording. Um, did that? What what sort of new challenges did that present? Um, and you know, how how did you reconcile those? Yeah, can I just tell you first? Yeah, that, right. Yeah. That the reason I have this job is because I got fired from my last job. I think that's like something. And, and again, one of the things I love I've loved about being back at Cal right, is as I see my classmates get stressed because they got a B plus, right, or an A minus, uh-huh. or an yeah. A minus, right? Somebody gets an A minus and they're bummed, and I go, dude, that's an A. I don't care about them either. I'm, I'm, po- I'm putting an update on LinkedIn if I got an A minus, right? And, um, uh, but the, the, what I'm able, because it's really easy when, at it, 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 my age in life, 
to say, hey, it's okay to fail, blah, blah, blah. But it's, but it's when you can show them that, well, here's really what happened. I actually did fail, right? And you know, when you get fired, that's failing. Now, whether or not you deserve to get fired is a whole other issue. But the fact that you got fired, that's failing at that relationship. Right. Okay? Um, and so, <clears throat> you know, and you can't let that, you know, I've got fired twice in my life. I like to tell people this. You know, once was a square peg round hole situation, right? I couldn't have been treated more fairly. Yeah. You know, and it was like, it's okay. Did great work. And, but it just, we just didn't fit, right? So sure. we were all adults and said, this isn't a great thing and we're going to treat you well, right? This last time, um, you know, it was a while ago now, it was six years ago, five years ago. Um, you know, it was, I kind of got screwed. And, and at the time, it, it seemed pretty devastating. I wasn't back in California. You know, it, it didn't feel good, right? But just, just immediately, because of the work I'd been doing where I got fired, this company, people at this company said, we're going to go snag that guy. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, we've talked, you know, we, we've talked outside of this about personal brand and doing stuff like that and how important that is, right? Sure. And this is an example of that, right? Where people Paying can, off. Yeah, absolutely. And, and not doing things perfunctory. Everything you do, you do it with a, an alacrity and with a sincerity and, you know, you just don't ever phone it in, right? Everything, you know, you do, it's got your name on it, right? Yep. That's your reputation, man, right? I mean, it's and, the same thing we talk about in football. It's like everything... Everything you put on film is what's a representation of you. It's That's like right. your name's literally on your back when you're out there. Hundred percent. Especially in football, you're, yeah. you're absolutely great. Well, and it's like that. You know, again, in my profession, and you know, your resume isn't your resume. Your resume is what you're doing every day. That's right. your resume, right? Your resume is just something that's got to go through an HR process, right? And uh -huh. someone sees. But your resume is what you do every day. So, you know, I, you know, I, I tend to be like the most annoyingly positive person in the world, and um, you know, people. Um, the, uh, you know, I tell people that, you know, there's that old kind of trite saying that, you know, find a job you love and you never work a day in your life. Right. I don't even feel like I have a job. I get up in the morning. I mean, I mean that. Ah, I get, I, you know, I get up every day and I just do this thing I love doing. And I've been able to, um, with some rough spots, I've been able to really develop this, um, this position with the, with the um, blessing of the company. Right, uh, that's allowed me to focus on my strengths and the things that I love doing and where I can add value to an organization, right? And has taken the things that I don't add value, you know, that I hate doing, and kind of taken those off my plate so we could really focus on strengths. So it's, um, I can't say enough about persistent systems. You know, we were founded by a guy, Anand Deshpande, who you know, is an incredible story himself. You know, grew up in India, um, went to graduate school at Indiana back in the heyday of HP, you know, was working at mm -hmm. HP in the Valley, then decided he wanted to start his own company and go back to India. And, you know, he started this company and, you know, 30 years later, it's a 10,000 person company. You know, there are 10,000 people right now that are paying a mortgage, paying rent, sending their kids to school because of a vision that Anand had, right? Right. And I find that, and I love entrepreneurs for that reason, right? People who go out there and they start something and it, you know, and it, and it, and it, and it works and they impact so many lives by doing that, right? You know, and so, and he's an incredible guy. So the, um, if I can tell you just, I, I, yeah, yeah, one of my, go for it. Yeah, I'm one of my favorite stories. So, you know, I've been working at the company a couple of years and um, I decided I'm going to come back to Cal to get my degree. Yeah. Yeah, summer of 16. And I want to give a shout out to Brian Rainey, who's a development officer here at Cal. And uh, Brian and I were at a, down at Sunken Diamond Cal Stanford baseball game uh -huh. and he goes Ken what do you think about getting coming back to get your degree and I go yeah I've been thinking about that maybe I'd like to do that so um, you know went through the process it was 
you know, one of the things that you kind of fear, you, know, you have these weird things that you put in your mind, right? The the best horror movies never show you what happens. They let you imagine uh-huh. what happened, right? They just show you the outcome, right? Sure. Um, the movie Seven is like that. The, the movie Seven is a great movie with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. You actually never see the actual crime take place. You just see the outcome, and you can fill it in in yourself, right? It's much scarier. Reapplying to Cal, you know, as a 40, I mean, my late 40s, right? Same yeah. thing. I'm filling in. I thought it was going to be embarrassing. It couldn't have been nicer. Seriously, I mean, it was amazing. You, know, you think of Berkeley as this cold, big, monolithic, you know, uh, you know, place. And the people all along the process, and particularly like Bridget Lair, who was in, you know, in LNS and in Missions, she was awesome. Um, so I decided when, so I got accepted. Actually, when you, if you leave in good standing, which I did, I didn't fail out, you know, I just left. If you leave in good standing, you're not reapplying, you're just re-enrolling. Right. Right. And literally, and it's like, I can remember my student ID number. It was like, I'm, I'm online as 106, <laughs> blah, 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 whatever it was. Right. Like, wow, it just came right back to me. I hadn't used that in 25 years. Right. It just, boom, came back into my mind. And um, so I thought, well, how am I going to tell people about this? Well, you got to, you know, I guess you're on Facebook because you're going to put on Facebook and you get a ton of likes. People are like, hey, good for you. And all these guys yeah, are right. Yeah. You're going to feel good. Right. You know, or on Instagram. But I put it on Facebook. And sure enough, I got, you know, hundreds and hundreds of likes and whatnot. And one of the comments was from my CEO on it. And it just was real quick. I said, you should take a programming course this time. So I, uh, I kind of laughed it off. <clears throat> and it's like, I'm not going to, you know, you know, Berkeley is the world's greatest institution for learning computing, you know, for learning code and computing and all the things. You know, the internet was was done here. You know, this is where the internet started, right? Like, right. whatever. So um, every time I'd see him, he'd be like, you know, Kenny, you going to take a coding course. You know, this is the CEO of a 10,000 person company. You know, you're going to take a coding course. Oh, on in. I don't know. So I'm in India in August of 17. So I've been back for a year. Yeah. Right? Feeling great, loving classes, knowing now that, hey, I can balance this. Right. right? You know, I can, I can do this. I can work and I can go back to school. And, and, and seriously, just taking a little moment to go, yeah, this feels good, you know, and I'm, you know, whatever. So I'm in India. When I'm there, I sit in an office that's right by Onnit's. And he comes by and he goes, hey, you're going to take a coding course this semester. And I don't think so. You know, and he goes, okay. About 10 minutes later, calls me into his office. And he's on his laptop. He's got the Berkeley course catalog up, <laughs> right? And uh, he's looking at the CS10, Joy and Beauty of uh, Computing, or BJC, Beauty and Joy of Computing. And uh, he goes, this looks like a great class. This is like that you should take. So hell, you know, you're sitting in your CEO's office. He's like done the research <laughs> for a class. You got to take that class, right? So I ended up taking that in the fall. Um, you know, I can tell you a little story about that, but that's the kind of company this is, right? And what's allowed... Um, I, I, you know, persistent systems didn't let me go back to finish my degree. They encouraged it. They yeah. loved it. They and they wanted me to share my experience with all the employees because you know it's about lifelong learning. That's one of the things at us, right? You know, we, mm-hmm. you know, we always always student learn, right? always student always that's right. Yeah. And and that's what this was. And so again, it wasn't this idea that. And I've been so blessed to have my first time at Cal, the second time at Cal, to work at organizations for companies that it wasn't ever an issue of, okay, you can do this as long as it doesn't affect whatever, right? It was like, no, you'll figure this out and this will be great and whatnot. And that's pretty special. And I don't know if I was just lucky. I don't know if I made that happen or if that's out there everywhere and you just have to recognize it is, right? And not be afraid to go and get it, you know? Yeah. so what you want, some of the challenges of working for a you know a company that's headquartered in India is there's cultural things now, and I'm very I think um, very sensitive to other people, you know to other cultures and stuff like that, but what you learn very quickly is we're almost all the same culture, you know you really do and um, 
one of the great things about globalization and this is that you just break down all these walls, right? And sure. you see people are people, right? This is the, he's yeah. like human, right? So now, you know, I'm working at Persistent and, you know, it never, you know, again, one of the things that, you know, you know, I've told all of our mutual friends, I tell people all the time is this never gets old to me. When I get on a plane and I go to India or if I'm on a plane, you know, in the, just this year, you know, I'm over 100,000 miles on United, right? Just, just already this year. Right. And, you know, I'll be in London, you know, Berlin, or wherever I am, New York, India, it never, ever gets old. Every time I get on the plane and I'm going somewhere, right, I'm excited. Yeah. And, you know, and I land and I'm in this city. And, you know, Jake, when I was a kid, there were three things that I kind of dreamed about doing. One was being an astronaut, right? Uh, one was being a paleontologist, you know, but the third one was, <clears throat> you know, I want to be an international businessman and get go see the world and do these kind of things. Yeah. And, and you know, I'll be in a bar, you know, at the St. Regis of Mumbai meeting with the editor of the Wall Street Journal, the Asian edition of the Wall Street Journal. And it won't be lost on me that it's like, son of a gun, I get to do what I thought I might be able to do when I was a little kid. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, persistence has been incredible. Um, if, if I can, one of the things, you know, my boss, who's the uh, chief marketing officer of the company, um, Sundar, he was a great guy. Um, but, you know, he and I sometimes were at loggerheads when I first started. And I had an epiphany. It was um, during winter break, and I was in India. And we were kind of like in an email argument with each other. And, um, I, and I was actually completely in kind of the wrong in terms of, there was nothing serious, right? But just in my outlook in life, right? Okay. And I had this epiphany where it was like, dude, what are you doing? You work for a great company. You know, you make decent money. They let you go back to school to finish your degree. And I'm bitching and moaning because like this little thing that I wanted to do, I can't do, right? Yeah. And, and as it turns out, they're actually doing me a favor. You know, they're taking stuff off my plate that I don't really like doing. And I'm, you know, you know what I mean? I don't add value there. Um, and so that was a real epiphany and that, that got me to like really embrace, you know, the opportunity that was in front of me. And, you know, when I came back and I had, um, you know, when Anand had picked out this, uh, you know, BJC course for me, CS10. Yeah, yeah. That was fall of 17. And, you know, I had four courses that semester. I had, you know, coding course. I had an Etruscan history class. Nobody's, the Etruscans were this ancient civilization in Italy that nobody knows who they were. But I had this Etruscan history class uh, for my classics, you know, uh, major. Uh -huh. And then I decided to take two classes at Haas. One was with Holly Schroth. It was a negotiations class where Chase Forrest was my semester-long teammate in our negotiations thing. Uh -huh. And the other was, which was a wonderful class. And then the other was uh, 155 uh, Leadership with Dan Mulhern, which any of my friends who are Cal students right now, I highly recommend you take that course. Um, that four months, that semester, was the absolute best four months of my life. And it's pretty cool if you can get to my age and say, hey, you know what? Like, and again, not, not with a recency bias or anything like that, but actually can say that was amazing because all those classes were great. That I was able to do that with my company's blessings, that I was able to make all the, I mean, that we're friends. This is amazing to me, right? right? I mean, this is incredible. This is how great life is. Um, that, uh, and then, you know, to have, these were the first classes I'd ever taken at Haas. They were so different than like classics classes that I had taken sure. and whatnot, right? And they were just incredible. They were, their energy. You know, Holly's class was phenomenal. This and I took two classes with her. Um, and then, you know, Dan's class was just amazing. And, you know, he, has, he had us do a paper 
you don't take a final. You have a final paper, and it's the be it's uh, the best course ever. And it's like, wow, that's kind of you're a little you know fool of yourself to have the students to, to, you know, turn in a paper about you know, your class being the best course ever. But he was right, and it really was the best course ever. And that's again no slam to all these other classes, um, but it was it was just an amazing experience. The friends I made in there, you know, when I was just in New York, I'm having drinks you know with one of them down in Miami, having drinks you know with people there. These will be my friends for life. Yeah. And um, uh, you know, and the same thing happened in CS10. You know, I'm in a, in a introductory computer programming course with 300 freshmen. So these are 17, 18, 19 year olds, right? A couple, I mean like uh, just a handful of, you know, maybe upperclassmen. And I gotta tell you, that was intimidating. And um, it was like, man, these, these are digital natives, right? These, these are people that were born- Grew up with all of it. Oh, absolutely grew up with all of it. And they can code like I can write, right? Or, or they're, they're open to doing that. Sure. And then I ended up making uh, friends you know, they're in my, my lab mates, so we have a thing, you know. Um, so what was very cool about that was, you know, in Dan Mulhern's leadership class, he has this whole thing about leading by two, right? That the best leadership um, organizations are people, are organizations that are led by two people, right? That can balance each other out mm -hmm. and complement each other. And then Dan Garcia, who um, teaches uh, CS10, he has this whole thing about finding your academic soulmate that you learn by two, you have pairs. And so it was really kind of amazing to get those two experiences at the same time. And, um, uh, you know, I made friends in that class. So my lab mate, uh, you know, Matt, you know, he was 18. He looked like he was 12, right? And was, this guy's going to be my lab mate, you know, and it was like, this is incredible. But Matt was just incredible, you know, and I think Matt and I will be friends forever, right? And, and other people like Ollie Shaw, these people that just really, um, again, I may, I'm, I'm constantly amazed. It's never like uh, that. I was literally just telling somebody this morning that it was been amazing being back at Cal that you guys embraced me as a classmate. That's just a friend. Yeah, I want to. I mean, I want to ask about yeah, like what it was like to come back. Just not from like a, I don't know, just just from a perspective. How did the school itself change? How did how did classes change? Do you feel like you had being older? Do you feel like you were like? drawing more out of classes, paying more attention than maybe some of your other like classmates were, like stuff like that. Absolutely. But, but in fairness, I was drawing more out of classes than I did when I was first to Cal. Right. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. So it's nothing, it's a, it's just an older me versus a younger me, right? So it's, that's how things are. I think the big change, um, I think the biggest change was, you know, is this just obsession with, um, with the grade. And that wasn't the same, you know, and, and you see, and, and honestly, this is just a, a flat out truth. There's great inflation. When I was at Cal, I think, when I was first at Cal, I think the average GPA was something like 2.87, something like that. I'm, I'm wrong about the number, but, you know, you get the idea. Right. right? right. You know, now it's 3.5 or something like that, right? So, you know, people aren't smarter today. I mean, right? I, was talking to, I was talking to one of my friends the other day, just finished a summer class, um, and she got a, I think she got a B minus and was like, this is like a terrible grade. I was like, what are you talking? It's a B. Like yeah. it's a C is an average. Anything above right. a C is fine. That's average. And also it's like, there's this, like people think their GPA is going to do something for them. It's like at the, like you aren't a GPA. Like I'm not a GPA. You're right. not a GPA. Like I, I feel like, I don't know why that's so difficult for people to see. It's like, you're not going to be in 20 years. No one cares what you're called. Like, they might care that you have the degree, like we were talking about how that's different now. Yeah. Like, it, it matters for a lot of stuff, but like, no one cares like what your GPA is in the real world. It doesn't tell anybody anything about you. No, 
and, you know, and you're absolutely correct. And, and the, um, you, you, by the way, you said something that I think is interesting. Because, it, again, it's another story that I love about how people treated me. I never reference my life or life outside of university as the real world versus college world, right? right. Because this is your real world. Sure. If you're 19 or 20 or 21 and you're a student, this is the real world, right? Sure. And, um, and, and the reason I say that is well, there was one person who I worked at Babcock about, not a bad person, you know, whatever, but there was this one time where he was annoyed at me. And he goes, Ken, when you get out of the real world, you're going to learn that you know, this won't you know, this won't, whatever. And I was really hurt by that. It was really odd because I'm not that kind of person, but it really struck a chord with me where um, it really, it just hurt me because, you know, I'm working. I'm putting myself through college. You know, I am in the real world, right? Yeah. And I remember I talked with my boss, Ruth Ann, and there was a guy, you know, the, fan, the owner of the company or the, the CEO of the company, Jim Babcock, who's this incredibly, you know, powerful, he was a big guy, most intelligent person I've ever met, smart, very intimidating, Right. And she'd said something to him about this because she really cared about me. So the person who said that to me like, a couple days later came and apologized. And, and he, I think he sincerely apologized. Said, yeah. hey, you know, I didn't mean that to come out like it did. Right. And to belittle you, you know. And the reason I say that, Jake, is because it's, you know, that happened in 1991, right? That was 28 years ago. And I remember that experience in a good way because it's like, it, again, it informs how I treat other people, right? Uh -huh. Somebody who was far above me, you know, in every metric you could have, right? worried, cared about me to say to somebody else who was also far above me in every metric, say, you can't treat him like that. And then that person actually came back and sincerely apologized to me. And, you know, that was pretty cool. So anyways, that's just a little offshoot of the real world. But I think the reason people are so stressed about it is it gets reinforced. Yeah. Right? And, and so again, what I try and do is let people know you're allowed to fail. You know, I dropped out of Cal. You know, I've got fired. You're allowed to do that. You know, and I've never lied about having a degree. You know, I've never, you know, put on my resume or put on my LinkedIn or whatever that I had a degree, you know. Uh, maybe once or twice if people wanted to think I had one, I'd let them think it. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know whatever. But, 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 yeah, I never remotely, you know. And, and then what was really interesting is I started to kind of rise, you know, in my career. Um, you know, I'd be hiring people. A lot of times people would be, um, you know, people in recruiting would be doing a, you know, a job spec form for me. And there would always be something, Jake, it was always fascinating to me. They would always have something like, okay, we're, we're hiring a senior manager. So you need to have 10 to 15 years of experience, blah, 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 blah. And then now the bomb would say, and a BA Degree. or BS or whatever. Yeah. And I'd always say, I'd always cross it out. And I'd always say, if they've got 10 to 15 years of experience, why in the world do I care that they have a classics degree from Berkeley that's absolutely meaningless? At this point, you know, it just doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And uh, so it was always interesting. You know, I'd always get some feedback from HR, and then I'd always say, well, I guess you might want to go and tell them I shouldn't be working here because I don't have a degree, right? It'd always be this kind of funny thing. But um, he asked, um, you know, how things are different. Um, there's obsession with grades, right, or with an A, right, right? The, the almighty A, right? Um, you also see that, and I had a situation that you, you also do get this sense of people think they just deserve an A because they're here, right? And that if you show up and, you know, you just deserve an A for being you, right? And you don't, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a, I don't think that was the case, you know, 30 years ago, right? It was, it, again, it was, um, uh, you know, again, I, I, again, I'll get the number wrong, but when I was first, my first student at Cal, the attrition rate after four years was something like 30%. So 30% of the people that started with you your freshman year were no longer at Cal by the time you graduated. Yeah. 
and that was because they haven't graduated, right? Yeah, yeah. Now it's like three percent because if, if because if the university doesn't graduate everybody, U.S. News will report knocks them down. You know, and uh-huh. because, because it's it's a mill, right? It's a great mill, right? But it's a, you know it's a bit of a mill. So um, I, I think those are big ways that you know it's different. But the you know the the stuff that people wring their hands about, you know, the politics, the activism, the um, yeah, that stuff hasn't changed. I mean, that's always the same. And yeah. There's, and, and there's something great about I mean, it. This is part of the character. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also just part of, like, um, wh- wherever on the spectrum you are, right? Wherever on the spectrum you are, it's just, it is part of the character. And it's part of just navigating your way through different people, right? Yeah. And, and again, what's, what, the, the, a fun thing about being an older returning student is, you know, like, you know, one, I, I think it's funny. But also, I don't have time for that bullshit. Right, so if you if I'm in a class, you know, um, it was great having these classes at Haas because my professors would want me to share, you know, outside world, you know, experiences, right? <laughs> you know, and say, well, you know, here's how here's how this works when you get into real business, mm-hmm. right, and whatnot and stuff. So, um, so I think you just kind of go with all that, and it's, um, you know, it, it's uh, it's, uh, you know, I think the the big uh, probably the biggest change is how we socialize. And, you know, I was, you know, down at Raleigh's on Telegraph. Um, you know, I helped open that bar, basically. I was the first doorman. Or I was the second doorman there. Uh, okay. You know, we the two of us. So, uh, you know, you had to go out to meet people. Yeah. You know, back in the it's early 90s. Now it's all on your phones. All, everything's on the phone, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, You, you know, we didn't have a gazillion. We, didn't, one, we, we literally didn't have the internet, right? We didn't have... Um, 500 channels so on saturday you were sitting across where you know, we're up here in the university club you, know, you were sitting across sitting in the student section and you get there you know, you'd come out onto the field as a player and that thing would be full you know a half an hour before the game because you know, you're going to get there with your friends you want the best seats and that's that's how you did your socializing right? yeah you didn't have all these other options um i mean it's I, I always think it's interesting because i grew up every summer i went to a, a summer camp in new hampshire and we were never allowed to have phones or anything like that and uh I always felt like this sort of disconnect when I'd come back in terms of like usage of social media and like people using their phones and like not, I still to this day, I don't think I understand how to use social media as well as like, I don't know, pretty much all of my peers and yeah, it, to a degree, like I wish I did because it's like you're saying it's the way people socialize now, but at the same time, it's like, it's a little bit too much that way, yeah. I think. Well, I think it's got, I definitely think it has its pros and cons. I've... And I'm telling you, the pros to me will far outweigh the cons. So I I think social media is one of the ways I've been able to be friends with people that are so yeah. outside of my regular circle. Of course. Right? And because, you know, when I was, again, so like when I was your age, if I wanted to meet somebody my age, you had to call their office. You had to talk to their assistant. You had to have an awkward, you know, whatever, right? It was just weird. You did it, but it was just weird. Now you can go on and yeah. you, you can see you have similar interests and stuff. And it's just so much easier to do all that. Anyways, um... Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, I think it's, um, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, so um, only two more yeah. sort of things I want to touch on before I ask you this. Three questions I ask everybody at the end. Yeah, so the the first one, uh, the fir- one of the next questions I want to talk about is, what would you think the best way would be to walk the line between doing something you love and making a career? I tell you, when I started at the agency, I was making 10 bucks an hour, and that was not a lot of money back then. 
I mean, seriously, right? I mean, that was nothing. Okay. Yeah. Um, there were years, there was a couple of years where, you know, I would have, I can make $20 last for, you know, to the next paycheck, right? You know, yeah. and it was top ramen, cornflakes, you know, that type of thing, right? <laughs> so um, it's not like, you know, um, you know, it's not like, oh, this was, you know, I was just rolling in it. You know what I said? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, no, so I think if you believe in yourself, right? And it's, again, it's just, these are all cliches, but like there's a reason they're yeah, cliches. Cliches, they're, yeah, cliches for a right, reason. Right, but you know, you believe in yourself and um, I, that's really, so th that is my advice, right? Is, and I and I say this over and over, you'll hear so many people that are, if we have mutual, you know, all of our mutual friends, when we talk about things, I tell people like, bet on yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and without exception, I'd bet on you. Like I'm betting on Jake. Right. Somebody said to me right now, hey, you know, um, you know what are the, yeah, we're going to give you odds on Jake's future, right? I go, I'll take that bet in a second, okay? Because I see what you guys are doing. It's going to be tough. And it may or may not work out, right? But you got to bet on yourself because if you don't bet on yourself, no one else will. And you put that energy out there. But if you get out there and you just show that you're serious about it and you're good at it, right? And you got this feeling, mm -hmm. there's this, you know, whatever, then people are going to start betting on you. And them betting on you is what's going to make you succeed, you know? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, um, the, there's one more thing I want to yeah. talk to you about before we get into the Absolutely. final thing. I yeah. mentioned it earlier. We talked about it a little more later. I'm just going to let you talk about it. I'm not going to ask too many questions because... That's dangerous. Uh, <laughs> I, it is, but it, this one's worthwhile, I okay. think. So uh, you mentioned your friend um, Mark yeah. Bingham yeah. earlier. Um, I know a lot of people listening to this are Cal people have an idea who that is. Um, but can you just overview who he was, what he meant to you, and like... What as a general sort of population we can learn from yeah. from his life? Yeah. So you know when um, one of the things in this uh, ancient athletics class that I had um, was we had a whole thing on what's a hero, and in order to be a hero, you have to one of the definitions kind of in classics of a hero is you have to have a premature death. You have to have died mm. before you know in, in the middle of greatness, right? Before whatnot. And so we, when people die early, we tend to kind of lionize them, right? We, we idealize them. And, uh, but Mark was a fantastic person. And Mark and I knew each other vaguely peripherally while we were at Cal. So just, you know, Mark knew, again, this will sound obnoxious, Mark knew me because I was the mic man. Everybody knew me as the mic man, right? And, right. and I knew Mark just from coming into Raleigh's. But again, just very peripherally. I, I probably wouldn't be able to tell you what his name was. You know, I knew okay. that guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Rugby. And... Um, Mark, uh, Mark and I got just, we really, and, and you could probably talk to 10 people and they'd say the same thing I'm going to say, which was, you know, Mark and I were like brothers. We were like best friends, right? That's, and that was Mark's infectious personality, right? Yeah. So that there were lots of people who felt that way about their relationship with him. But we would call, you know, we'd talk I mean, every day. We worked out every day together, right? And uh, we went on just crazy last minute weekend trips. And you know, one of my favorite was we went to Chicago just for the weekend, and we just you know we were out at bars and just having fun and getting into trouble and whatnot. And so we worked together at Alexander. Um, we were you know competitive in the way that you should be competitive, right? You know, uh, you know on things. Um, and so uh, Mark was on the East Coast, and he Mark was living in New York, and he was coming home for a wedding, and um, on 9/11. Mm. And uh, so he was on flight 93 from Newark to SFO that the um, hijackers took over. Right. And that plane was destined to hit the Capitol. So they'd hit both the World Trade Towers, right, right. hit the Pentagon. So you have financial might, military might, and then the seat of the government. And um, 
you know, Mark along with some other passengers, um, you know, this is not how they wanted to die, right? Of course not. Um, this, you know, they'd much prefer that they just land safely in San Francisco. Um, but they recognized the moment. And, you know, they took the plane down and, you know, it ended up crashing into a field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Um, and in the moment, it was all this experience that Mark had as playing rugby. You know, the sense that the team is greater than yourself. All this kind of stuff, right? Um, you know, and the sense of leadership and whatnot with other passengers on the plane. Um, and they charged the, you know, the cockpit and they were able to take the plane down. Um, I miss Mark. I, um, I feel, you know, I've had a couple of friends that have died earlier, you know, than they should. Well, clearly died earlier than they should. But I, uh, I miss Mark. And I miss their things like, you know, when you have a best friend... Um, that you expect to be sharing well into old age, mm -hmm. right? And uh, there's like a song, Thank You for Being My Friend, and it's like, you know, and when we get older with walking sticks and hair of gray, right? The idea is, you know, we'll still be laughing about know these each things. Other forever. Absolutely, yeah. right. And they'll just, and you'll just be able to say something. Like if Mark were here today and I go, Mark, there's a bobble, he'd crack up. And now nobody else knows what we're referring to, right? But there, you know, you know that would have a thing. Um, and so, you know, Mark lived life to its fullest. And um, I shared on a post, uh, I think the, one of the last email exchanges that he and I had, and I thought it was so, um, it was such a look into who he was, right? And we were talking about, he had gone, you know, he, he, so I was living in Africa, and mm -hmm. he and some friends had gone and done the running of the bulls and done all this stuff. And it was a very Hemingway-esque, sun also rises, you know, type of experience. And uh, and it was just really you can see where he's sucking the you know the, I mean to mix up my my authors where he was sick, you know sucking the marrow out of the bone of life you know um, but he was I um, he was a terrific person um, he really was a good person right you know and it's easy to say that after someone's died but he realized he made a difference um, he's a Cal guy right um, and I think I wish people I wish more people knew about him because I you see it and this is just this was happens with history. Right, it just yeah. it, it recedes. Right, um, that's it's always been that way. Okay, mm -hmm. um, but here at Cal, I wish they would maybe during um, uh, freshman orientation or something, or whatever, you know, people would know a little bit about him because it's still it's not that it's not that ancient history, right? And yeah, it's that was somebody who went here, and they didn't. You know, again, I'm not like it's hard to say this without um, without. Uh, Sounding disrespectful because there's no disrespect in this whatsoever, right? But Mark didn't just die, he died a hero. You know, he went out swinging. You know, he made a difference. You know what I'm saying? He, yeah, had, yeah. he had something tragic, you know, hoisted upon him, right? And he didn't cower. You know, he didn't, whatever. You know, he went out and swinging. And yeah, I mean, it reminds me of it's not exactly the same thing, but what you were talking about earlier, you, you know, you're stuck with a situation that you have to do either way. I mean, he wasn't. Unfortunately, there was he wasn't coming out of that situation no. with his life, and you know, by by choosing to be brave and and you know f take the situation on, he saved a, a bunch of other lives. Absolutely, in the and, process. And, and I think he also saved the national psyche. Yeah, I think it would have been um, we would have been. I mean, we whatever we did, and we would have recovered. But I think there had been something pretty devastating about seeing the Capitol building up in flames. Yeah, you know. Um, so I think it's a. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, it's a, uh, you, you know, we had fun, 
And, and, and that's the, I just, the, the, you know, I think people talk about their friends. Like, really, this is what people talk, you hear people talk about friends they've lost. And a lot of times, I mean, you always hear people say, yeah, I miss the laughter. We had a, we laughed a lot. Mm-hmm. Just, just in general, right? Yeah. And I think what's, what's great about hearing that is it should let you know what's important right now. Right, you're not going to remember the stupid. You're not going to remember the stupid things you got mad about. You're not going to remember the people you care about. You're uh-huh. going to remember the fun. You're going to remember the laughter. That's what you're going to remember. So make the most out of that stuff. You know, that, th- those are the, that, that's what you should be focusing on. You know, the the petty shitty stuff. You know, just fades away. You don't honestly, you don't remember that stuff. You know. Yeah. And so, um, thanks for asking that because he was uh, Mark was a terrific person. Uh, I mean, I'm glad people. You know. Yeah, I mean, I'm asking because you like you're saying it's not in. You know, history recedes, as we're talking about, but you got to do what we can to, you know, while we can to yeah. to memorialize people that have made a difference. And that's really what I'm trying to achieve. That's great. Yeah, that's, um, that's wonderful. And yeah, and that person was here. They were a Cal Bear, you know, yeah. and he loved Cal, right? I mean, so seriously, we, uh, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Um, so now I'm going on to my final three. Okay. This is a question for everyone that comes on. Okay. So... What's one thing that you've read, watched, or listened to lately that inspired you and you think people should check out? Recently. Um, <coughs> I'll give you, can I give you two things? Like, sure. Uh, okay. Um, oh, gosh. Let me see. Um, I want to think of the second thing. Um, something, oh, that inspired me. I'm, I'm inspired all the time. I mean, really am. I mean, I, I truly mean that. I'm inspired all the time by the smallest things. Um, but you know what? I love the movie Invictus. There's a great, so we are just talking about rugby, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And there's a great movie. And what inspires me about that is, here we go, is um, on Netflix, there's a, a Netflix um, production called The Other Man. And it's about F.W. de Klerk, who was the president of South Africa when they got rid of apartheid. And okay. how he and Nelson Mandela worked together, right, and what he went through. It's That, that was inspiring to watch in as part of the whole, right? So, you know, you think of, you know, Invictus and... Um, because what Nelson Mandela did, it's like, I wish we would do as a country, and we're just, we're not doing it, right? I've had this conversation with people is, you know, Nelson Mandela knew that he had to embrace rugby in order to bring South Africa together because, you know, rugby was the Afrikaners, the white sport, right? You know, that they uh-huh. cared about. So he could have said, I'm not going to do anything. You know, he could have done stuff out of spite, but he didn't, right? He did things to bring, he, he saw the bigger picture, bring stuff together. And, um... So I think all you know, I lived in South Africa for a while, so I'm kind of inspired by all that stuff. But um, you know that that's something. Um, just another thing, just a sweet little movie that I saw on uh, the plane called. And I've just I, I've had, I've had friends I've had friends watch it and they've loved it. A little movie called Love. Oh shoot, Love Simon. A little movie called Love Simon. Okay. Did you see this? I think is that the one. It's that, a it's a coming out story. Kids yeah, in yeah, high yeah. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I, I know the movie. Charming movie, and it's like in the reason I, I say that, especially to people maybe not your age but my age, is you look at I I watched that and it just remind me of one how great things are right now, and I, and I really mean that. Like there's um, so again, it's Love Simon. It's an incredibly sweet movie, just a coming of age movie, you know, uh, with lots of different layers, and um, but. Being back at Cal, I can report confidently to people that we're in great hands. Like the future is great, so it's not going to hell in a handbasket. You know, Generation Gen Z, you know, Millennials, right? They're not screwing everything up, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's actually we're going to be great. 
And so, like, watching that little movie, I think, is, you know, kind of inspirational. And, you know, there's a gazillion books and stuff, but, you know, it's just kind of popular culture. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is going to be another one for okay. you that, okay. that you're going to have to think about. But who or what was your biggest inspiration to finding out what you love to do and who or what inspired you to act on it? That is a long, I, truly, that's a long list, right? So I won't do that. But no, no, I won't give you that long list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I figured it would be. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it's people that, I've already said some people, right, that mm -hmm. modeled behavior that, you know, I wanted to follow. So I think it's, you know, you could look at famous people, right? But everyone can look at those. So I think, I think the way to answer this kind of question it's is people, people you know. Absolutely, right. Um, and so, so I'd start, you know, honestly, with the, the you know the founder of my company, Mathan and Dishpandi, right? I mean, he's I've only known him for five years, but you know, um, he inspires me by how he's by the vision he had, by the the success he's had, but more importantly, by how he treats people, right? And by treats everybody with respect, treats everybody, you know, with you know, you know, he, he's incredible. I mean, he's just a, he's a terrific person. There's a guy, a professor here that I hadn't talked about, Saul Perlmutter. Saul Perlmutter teaches with two other professors a class called um, Sense, Sensibility and Science. Saul is a Nobel Prize winning astrophysicist. And he would have office hours and you could talk with Saul and he treats everybody with respect like, you know, you've got value that you bring to the table, right? And that was pretty inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. The people that I worked with at Babcock and Brown were amazing. Those people saved my life. I really believe that. They gave they gave a kid that was completely lost, an 18-year-old that was absolutely lost in the world. And they gave me a sense of value and a sense of place and a sense of purpose and um, never, ever condescended or treated me in any way. They, they treated me as an intelligent adult. And, you know, from Ruth Ann Cambry, who I talked about, to Sue Altimore, David Crane, Jim Babcock, Bob Falkenberg, all these people, there's a whole list of them. Mm -hmm. I, they were incredible. Um, I would like, you know, I, I, I want you to give you a great story. There's a, um, uh, my old boss, um, a woman I worked for a couple times, Christine Hughes, mm -hmm. and then her husband, Abe Ostrovsky. So Christine's a very successful tech marketing, you know, genius. Um, and then Abe was chairman of a, couple, of a couple different companies, one that I worked for. And they so intimidated me when I first met them. They are now like family to me. When I was struggling, when I was getting my business going, when I was trying, you know, getting my own business going and stuff, they, um, they, they, you know, I would stay with them, right? And they would just give me advice. And they're the kind of people that just by being around them, you're smarter, right? Just osmosis, <laughs> you get smarter, right? And we were out to dinner one night. I love telling the story because, again, it's really informed how I treat other people. We were out to dinner one night, and we're, just, we're, we're at their place in Palm Springs, and we're out for pizza. And I just wanted to do, like, a little thank you, so I'm going to pick up the check. And Abe will not let you pick up a check. He just won't let you pick up a check, right? So I went to go use the bathroom, allegedly, and I paid the waiter. Right. So I come back, and, you know, waiter, so it's been taken care of. And they're like, you know, they're, you know, they're Montgomery, you know, what are you doing? You don't have to do that. Right? So um, we get back to their house, and I'm in, you know, my, this lovely suite that I have at their house in Palm Springs, right? And um, Abe knocks on the door. I, you know, I hear him knock on the door, and he goes, Ken, do you have a second? I go, yeah. And he goes, and I thought, oh, God, you know, I've done something wrong. You know, seriously, right? Yeah. You know, I've worn out my welcome. You know, like, what have I done, right? And he goes, hey, um, about dinner tonight, you know, Christine and I, we've been okay for ourselves. 
and you know we really care about you and while you are you know just kind of marshalling yourself to you know succeed you let us worry about dinners okay and then one day in the future you'll do that for other people but right now you just don't worry about that and you know we appreciate it. thank you for dinner but we really uh, we want you just to you let us worry about that we can do that and i thought what a great way to say that right what an incredible yeah. you know, way to say that so you know abe and christine are two people that you know um you know been really huge um really inspirational people for me in life in how to live life, you know, and how to uh, treat people and, you know, and whatnot. So, yeah. And, and again, there, there's, the, the, the list is so many. Yeah. Right? And I mean, it's, I think yeah. everyone listening, the, the amount of names of people that you've dropped just yeah. throughout the conversation, it's yeah. like, you can tell Ken remembers this stuff. He, he listens to everyone around him, learns from everybody yeah. around him. So, I mean, and, 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 I knew asking that question, yeah. there was going to be a... And I do want to say that, I, honestly, and again, I, this sounds like I'm patronizing and I'm not, that I was inspired almost every day when I was back on campus by my classmates. And um, I'm inspired by you guys. And I'm inspired by the amount of work that you put in, right? Mm-hmm. It's not always, uh, the outcome is, isn't always what you want it to be, but you sit there and you keep fighting, you keep doing your thing, right? Um, I'm inspired by my classmates who have embraced me as a friend, you know, and they've, you know, and it's got to be weird. I mean, you know, you're 18, 19, 20, 21, and, you know, this guy who's like 50, right? Uh, and somehow they don't look at me as a 50-year-old. I mean, or they might, they look at me as a 50-year-old, but they look at me as a peer, you know, as a friend, right? Yeah. And that's really inspiring because that just tells me that the world's going to be great. You know, that, you know, we don't silo people anymore, right? Because mm-hmm. we, we did that when I was young because you just had to because you didn't, you didn't have the opportunity to get to know the person as a whole person, right? So I just want to make sure, I, I really am. I just, every day on campus, I was inspired, you know, by people on campus. Yeah, great stuff. Yeah. My very right. last Here question are. Here for we are, you. baby, do it. It's a big one. Okay. What's your current goal? Um, that's a great question. My goal is, um, uh, what's my current goal? My current right now. Goal, my, but just my current life goal, my right now. It doesn't need to be, it can be your huge goal. It can be like, what's... What is Ken Montgomery trying to do right now? What's the next thing for you? Well, I'm trying to, yeah, my goal is to um, go charging into this next act of life, right? And um, I, my goal is as a recent Cal grad, right? To, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Is to uh, figure out, hey, what's my career path right here? <laughs> um, I think I'm very fortunate that I'm working in a great place that's letting me do that. Um, I, my, my, and I really mean this, my ultimate goal is to be happy. Um, I think I am. My ultimate goal is to make anywhere I am a better place for being there. And I always, that's always, I'm always thinking about that, right? So I want to bring positive energy. And that really is a goal, right? To bring positive energy, you know, everywhere I go. And, you know, what's my next act in my career, right? Am I in that, am I in it right now? And I think I might be, right? Um, I'm, I'm in the process right now of shaping my um, position in a way that I that I wouldn't have thought about 10 years ago. You know, if you would have asked me 20 years ago, what are you going to be doing 20 years from now? There's no way I would have told you this. Yeah, so, and I, I just want to sidetrack for a second because yeah. there's one more question that comes yeah. to mind, even though I'm off I'm off of the format. Rough I script. Apologize. Yeah, yeah, rough script. Going off script. Exactly, go. rough script here. It's, He's going rogue. <laughs> uh, it's just, you've had such a, you know, your path has meandered so much. It's like so interesting and you don't, hear about that that much anymore because now it's you need a college degree to get your first job and then you work from there and it's kind of like scripted for people in my generation yeah do you think it would have been possible for you growing up when i grew up do you think this same path that you've had this 
bobbing, weaving, twisting. Like, can people do that today? 100% they can do it. I see it. Yeah, 100%, right? And, you know, one of the things I, uh, like, you know. Is it harder? Oh, well, I think the pendulum swinging. So okay. I think if we had this conversation 10 years ago, absolutely, yes, it would have been harder. But I do think you see this pendulum swinging back from the idea. I guess, you know, what, what, you know Dan has me come, I love, as you can imagine, uh, when I get to talk to uh, classes, right? Yeah. I get to, whatever. And one of the things that I say is, you know, congratulations on getting your degree. And you're not special. Getting your, your, there's nothing about being a Calibre that makes you special, okay? What makes you special is you. That's what makes you special. And that Calibre, it's nice, it's cool, you can show that you've done something, okay? But what you do with your life and who you are, that is what makes you special. And so I think that people, you know, absolutely, you see it all the time. You know, you see, I think one of the, one of the things I like to debunk is this idea of success, like, you know, we, we always hear about the college dropouts that are Bill Gates, that are Mark Zuckerberg, that are those people, right? You go in your neighborhood, right, and there's somebody who's running a little restaurant. There's somebody that's running a dry cleaners. There's somebody that's doing whatever, right, and they're successful. They're putting kids through school. They're living a life. They're doing positive things, right? Mm-hmm. We get to measure, you know, we don't have to have other people tell us what success is. Yeah. We get to decide what success is, right? And um, I think, uh, and by the way, like, you, you know, we, we could talk another five hours. There were a lot of lows along the way, right? This was oh, not, sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, there were lots of lows. And there were lots of times where I really questioned myself, right? And it wasn't fun, you know? Um, but, you know, I think you ultimately, um, again, this idea that you have a belief in yourself, that you bet on yourself, right? You got to remind yourself. I have to mm-hmm. remind myself that, right? Bet on yourself again. Um, but yeah, I think it's possible. I think, um, you know, uh, and you see it. I mean, you see it all the time, you know? And I had classmates that maybe weren't 50. But I had some that were in their like twenties that were coming back to finish their degree. Yeah, you know, and some in their thirties and stuff. They're doing different things. Um, yeah, I think it's just uh, there. And, and again, one of the things I say is, you know, your life isn't prescribed for you. You know, you get to make of it what you want. And you know, again, like you can't discount that the person sitting here telling you that did that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd be one thing if I had, you know, if I've done the traditional path and then said, well, you know, don't whatever. Right? I didn't do that. Yeah. I, you know, I'm okay, you know, yeah, yeah. and I'm better than okay, you know, and uh, yeah, I'm living proof. And again, I always, I'll go back, I always love telling people, man, if you need a college degree to have my job, I guess I wouldn't have my job, right? You know, so it's, uh, now I have it, you know, and um, and maybe, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I was very, when I walked out, my last final um, was poetically, you know, the last final of finals, right? So it was like, I just hung on as a student as long as I could, right? So the last final, my last final was the last final of finals. And, um, you know, I turned it in and it was emotional. And because this has been an incredible journey. And the part of that emotion was, you know, I think part of me has always been, hey, as long as I didn't have my degree, Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of a Cal student. I was actually. I was still a Cal student. Right? right? So there's this kind of finality. I got my degree. People say, you're going to get a master's. I go, no. I, I think you need to embrace that you have this opportunity and not try and milk it out. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whatnot. But, um, but, but it was emotional. And you know, I went out with some friends that night. And uh, you know, there, there really was, I took, I, you know, I was, the, the final was in Dwinnell. And then you know, I sent them back to my place. And then we're going to meet up at Freehouse. And the whole way back to my place, I was going, Dude, you did it. Like, you freaking did it. You came back and you got your degree 
you know, you're 50, now 52, right? You came back and you got your degree. You did it. And just, I kept saying that the whole drive home on my motorcycle. I kept saying, God, you did it. Man, you did it. You got your degree. And uh, that was pretty cool. And then yeah. we got to celebrate with people and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, I think, um, like I say, bet on yourself. Anybody listening to this who's kind of questioning if they're still listening to this, I've talked too long. But if, you, but if, but uh, anyone who's listening to this, man, you just gotta, you gotta just bet on yourself, and you just know that times are gonna be, they're gonna be low times and whatnot. But um, life is to be lived, you know. And like I say, if you can't enjoy life, you, if, yeah, you're doing it wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experiences and your journey with me and everybody listening. Yeah. And I hope. Um, that you guys listening learn something because you know Ken's got a lot to say and and like <laughs> and sure. a lot of different things to say too though it's not all the same stuff it's a yeah. lot of different things to say and he's got a lot of experiences um, and I think we can all learn from that so uh, Ken thanks for coming on Jake thank you very um, much congratulations on <laughs> doing you. it however many years yeah. later it doesn't matter it's That's done right. That's and uh, go Bears go Bears all right okay. thanks Jake go Bears. Man, Ken's story is so unique, and I love getting to sit down and just talk to him about his twists and turns. Um, with that said, So Stignatious is back. The second half of the first season is underway. I'm going to be on a regular schedule from here on out, so please uh, be tuned in. We've got some great guests coming up. With that said, please like uh, subscribe, leave a rating, share it on social media, do whatever you got to do to get the word out. And as always, stay stignatious. Stignatious.